Welcome to this episode of Talking Points. I'm your host, Brian Kelly, the Points Guy. And today we have our first ever CEO of an airline alliance, Jeffrey Goh, the CEO of Star Alliance. Star Alliance is the largest alliance, that is, if you're counting by most metrics. And we caught up with him at the Apex Expo in LA. If you're an aviation geek, the Apex Expo is like nothing else. Apex, that's the Airline Passenger Experience Association, is an annual aviation conference that brings together thousands of travel industry professionals to share insights into the latest airline technology, products, and services. All for those of us who need those creature comforts in the sky. 2019 marked their 40th anniversary, and this year Apex went all out in downtown LA inviting reps from nearly 100 airlines with panels led by experts from across the globe, including yours truly. We got to join in on the fun and do some product testing, and I got to sit down with top execs from several airlines, all for talking points. So on this episode, Jeffrey Goh from Star Alliance and I talk about where he thinks their biggest gap in coverage is. We have some markets where we don't have a home carrier, Australia, and then the other market is Russia, perhaps, where we don't have a member. Goh also shares details about new concepts for Star Alliance lounges. We want to deliver is the local wow experience. And how Jeffrey's background in law and working in pretty much every department at Star Alliance helped him move up the ranks to becoming CEO. My specialty became European Aviation Law. Jeffrey Goh, the CEO of Star Alliance. That's ahead on this episode of Talking Points, right after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. So, Jeffrey, let's talk about what the Alliance is. So, from a frequent flyer perspective, Star Alliance is great. When I fly on Avianca, I can credit my miles to United, and, you know, there's lots of different agreements. So, it's a group of partnerships between airlines, but is the Alliance at its core a for-profit company? Well, indeed, we are a commercial setup in a way. You know, our vision is really twofold. One is to drive profitability for our members where individually it is more of a challenge for them to do. And then at the same time, to drive better customer experience and delivering loyalty from the customers. But I will say that the loyalty, kind of the frequent flyer programs that you kind of refer to, isn't just the key proposition Mm -hmm. of an alliance. Clearly it is. It's very important for our customers. It is, you know, they're being treated as if they were flying with one airline. You know, you earn and you burn, as it Mm -hmm. were, within the alliance. But I think the proposition for the alliance is much more than that. It is also the forum that enables better customer experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as as I look into the future, it is about seamlessness, seamless customer experience, seamlessness for the customers, not only in the physical sense that it's traditionally understood, that you come to the curb of an airport terminal and then you go through the airport terminal in a seamless manner right up to the aircraft. We are also very uh, excited and interested in solving what I call transactional seamlessness. Mm. 
And uh, from a loyalty perspective, for example, you know, you could be sitting on a million miles and it's not a problem going online to your channel of choice and asking for your miles to be redeemed on flights and for upgrades and so on. But you typically will have a challenge if you then want to go outside the airline to which you belong or the program to which you belong and say, you know, I want, uh, you know, four tickets for my husband and two kids. Mm -hmm. And it's between two cities where the airline of your choice doesn't fly. And in the past, you will have to pick up the phone mm -hmm. and call a call center. And if you're lucky enough, someone picks up the phone 11 minutes after you're waiting <laughs> and tells you that, well, I'm sorry, on the 21st of September, there's no availability for the mm -hmm. two cities that you want to fly to. And what do you do? You then say, well, okay, let me go home and you know, discuss with my domestic committee. I'll call yeah. back again tomorrow. And then uh -huh. you wait again in a queue yeah. and, then, and then they tell you, well, there are only two tickets on the, the mm -hmm. new date that you want. What we have done is that transactional seamlessness is to give the control of the experience back in the hands of the customers where you stay on your channel of choice. It could be united.com. Mm -hmm. It could be singaporeairlines.com. And you literally transact as if you're buying a ticket by inputting your origin and your destination and the date of travel and the class of travel and the number of tickets you want. And you see the entire inventory within mm -hmm. the alliance of anyone who flies between that point A and point B. Mm -hmm. And you decide whether you want to fly this airline or that airline, whether you want to pay so much taxes and so little taxes and mm -hmm. so many miles that are required. And you even decide if you're going to do this on your cell phone in your iPad or on a laptop. You can decide to do this on a bus. You can decide to do this in the bathroom. You can decide mm -hmm. to do this in the office. You, the customer in this case, has the choice in terms of controlling his or her experience. Mm -hmm. That is kind of one means of trying to deliver what I call the transactional seamlessness for the customers. Star Alliance availability, for example, shows differently on Aeroplan than it does United, than it does Life Miles. Because if it's all accessing the same kind of inventory, do you have a standard that you know has to be set for all the member airlines You know, in terms of how they present all of that inventory? Because it is a lot of data with 20, what, eight airlines? And, 27. Yeah. yeah. The display of the data or the kind of uh, showing to the customer what's available in terms of inventory, I think technology is there to solve that problem, mm -hmm. and it has really solved that problem. I think what you're referring to more is in relation to availability. Mm -hmm. The industry traditionally has specified classes of mm -hmm. travel, as it were, or uh, booking classes that are assigned for redemption purposes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to go from A to B, it's 30,000 miles. That's mm -hmm. it. And if there's no availability, then it won't show up. There are multiple reasons why there isn't availability because sometimes for that segment, it's peak season, I can sell, I can get higher rates of return than you know mm -hmm. 50,000 miles that I might get from a customer. What I think more and more that the airlines and the industry is doing and is one of the things that we at the Alliance are beginning to address is what is known as dynamic yep. redemption. So you know, if you are willing to pay 25,000 miles more, there are going to be more seats that will be opened yeah. up to yes, you. Singapore Airlines has done that for a very long time. We're releasing a ton more availability to their own members. And then, you know, and, and United now is doing more of the dynamic pricing. We're almost, you know, the saver level awards are almost non-existent. And that's what Starlines partners get access to. So are you guys actively working to get a new tier of Starlines availability? Not necessarily the new, the new tier. It simply um, will connect or make it, um, what's the word, uh, relate mm -hmm. the cost of a ticket or mm -hmm. cost of a seat to the number of miles that are required, right? So so if this, uh, on a low, low season or off-peak mm -hmm. period between Los Angeles and San Francisco is 15,000 miles, 
that's fine. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of availability. Uh, but let's say come uh, peak hour, uh, peak season, school holidays and so on, then there may not be any seats that will be sold for 15,000 miles or made available for 15,000 miles and that you might be looking at maybe 30,000, 40,000. Are you willing to do that? Mm-hmm. And you might say, yeah, I'm willing to do that for 40,000 miles because it's very important. That's the kind of what we call the dynamic redemption for, and for do the you, customer. Because that currently really isn't in place between the alliance partners. So is that Correct. something that will be rolling out soon? I would wish, as most customers would wish that to be yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ability for dynamic redemption is available in some of the member airlines today Mm -hmm. within the industry, many Mm -hmm. airlines too. The challenge is connecting those two or more systems together that enables that exchange to take place Mm -hmm. on a dynamic basis. That is the real challenge, the ability to get the technology uh, or develop the technology to have that done. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have been finding or we have found in, you know, in the past few years where we've been driving better customer experience, which requires adjustments to airline systems, you know, the passenger service system, mm-hmm. the PSS as they call it, is a challenge mm-hmm. because most of these systems are run by traditional companies like mm-hmm. Amadeus, yep. like Sabre, like Travelport, and it isn't always an easy conversation right. to get them going in seeing the, the view that this is to solve a customer experience problem mm-hmm. and let's all get on board and find a solution forward. So to me, what is very important as we move forward in solving many of the customer experience challenges, both in delivering basic expectations, mm-hmm. but also in delivering some wow experiences, mm-hmm. is alignment of stakeholders. Now, how does it work? So when I redeem my United miles on South African Airways, does Star Alliance handle the interchange or there are set rules what United will reimburse South African for that flight? If I use United miles on a Star Alliance partner flight, it's all a preset amount. And at what point do the airlines pay each other back, so to speak, for the airlines that were redeeming more on other partners. I'd love to know how like the logistics... So the essence is a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, there's a lot of uh, what I call links or Mm -hmm. hypes uh, involved here. So on the one hand, first and foremost, the two airlines in your case, in in the example you've quoted here, United and South African, will need to have a bilateral agreement that says that one point is worth 0.001 cent, for instance, Mm -hmm. and that would be the cost of that mile. So that has to be agreed bilaterally. So each member airline has those individual agreements with all the other members. Indeed, indeed. And then United will be saying that, well, if my mileage plus customers or, uh, you know, if South African Airways will be saying to their Voyager customers to say, to redeem on a flight on United or to redeem on a flight South African Airways, it will cost you 30,000 miles for mm-hmm. flights within Africa and 60,000 miles from Africa to the U.S. So there's a chart mm-hmm. that is published to say how many miles are required. Then that transaction can happen. The technology part happens through our central infrastructure. So at Starlines, we have multiple what we call intelligent hubs. Mm -hmm. And one of these hubs enables these online redemptions, as it were, to take place. And so that part is held within our infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So there are different, if you will, kind of uh, streams to get this going. And then in terms of the fuel surcharges that airlines, some airlines charge them, some don't on partners. Do you guys manage that at Star Alliance or is that all individually? We don't. It's very much down to the individual carriers, in part because we have to be very careful as an alliance because many of the members are still competitors in some ways of ending up agreeing on prices or Mm -hmm. agreeing on fuel surcharges that would kind of uh, be uh, an infraction of the antitrust antitrust rules. I know Star Alliance has been a pioneer in upgrades as well. It's always been a little bit complicated to me in that you generally have to buy the most 
premium fare class. Do you see StarLine's members using that StarLine's upgrade program, or is that kind of a fizzling out, so to speak? It is actually being used, but I constantly challenge our team in understanding kind of uh, how much is the cost for mm-hmm. one uh, sort of upgrade award, redemption. But we've seen the numbers climb, mm-hmm. and we think that you know as you move forward, if you introduce dynamic redemption, that will also increase the numbers. If you also allow upgrade awards on code share flights, mm-hmm. uh, that will also increase the numbers. So we are the first and I think the only alliance that offers upgrade awards mm-hmm. across the alliance. And we're still learning from some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now is a very basic proposition where you just have a simple upgrade award, not on code share flights yet, not on waitlisted flights yet. Mm-hmm. But that day will come, I imagine, mm-hmm. um, which will expand or broaden the spectrum of redemption opportunities for the customers. Mm -hmm. Nothing can be more frustrating than you sit on a million miles and and have few opportunities to redeem for those miles. Let's talk about buying tickets. I know StarLine's had round-the-world paid tickets as well. What's the status of those round-the-world tickets? Do you still focus on them? Well, it's an interesting uh, question, Brian, that uh, when I took over the helm at StarLine's, it was one of those products that we looked at very closely and carefully. um, And in part of a review, we dropped some of our other products as well Mm -hmm. in terms of fair products. But we determined that the -the round-the-world product was one that we needed to keep because it is really the essence of a global airline alliance product. No single airline can offer around the world itinerary. It has to come together mm. two or more airlines to be able to do that. But we do recognize that the market has changed. Demand categories have changed. This was a product that was conceived or developed at a time when there were fewer options around. Mm -hmm. So today, the youth generation are able to go to low-cost carriers and buy a one-way ticket and combine it around the world at a much lower cost. And we understand that that is happening. And then, as I said, you know, you run into into the world where... 2.4 2.4 children, mortgage, you know, mm-hmm. the ages between 25 and 55, for example, you're too busy trying to meet those obligations and you probably will not have, you know, the luxury of four weeks vacation yeah. to fly around the world. And then you enter the realms of 50s and above and the retired generation where you're now competing with cruises mm-hmm. that are also going around the world too and becoming very popular. So we've had to rethink and redesigned what the proposition of a round-the-world product is. And uh, one of the things that we're excited about is creating a round-the-world experience, not necessarily with 16 stops, because mm-hmm. very few people fly around yeah. the world 16 stops now, but perhaps up to three or four or five stops on an experiential basis. Mm-hmm. So could I tap a market where there's a round-the-world demand, three or four stops for visit to vineyards? or a sports itinerary where mm-hmm. you know you go to India for cricket and then you go to Bahrain for the Formula One and then you go to the UK for football and then you go to the US for the National uh, the Hockey League and, <laughs> and so on. And so around experiences uh, is where we think there is going to be at least a demand mm-hmm. that we can create um, for these round the world. So have, you know, a lot of the U.S. airlines are teaming up with the big hotel brands. Um, has Starlines thought about having a hotel partner? <laughs> well, it's an interesting point, and certainly it's something that is in a radar from what I call our partnership paradigm. What we're excited about also is to create a holistic experience, transactional seamlessness for the customer. Mm-hmm. So imagine a world where you may be on your channel of choice. It doesn't matter which app this is. It could be the Air Canada app, it can be South African app, or it can be the uh, Thai Airways app, where you know you would buy your ticket for travel, which is the largest part, if you will, of a transaction, because that's why you're buying the ticket. You're going to travel. Mm-hmm. There is a raft of peripheral uh, transactions that typically you would also enter into 
to kind of supplement your travel, whether that is buying insurance, accommodation, mm -hmm. an Airbnb experience, your last mile transportation, or the ticket to the Ryder Cup, or the, you know, the mm -hmm. baseball uh, match. How can we bring that within an ecosystem where you don't have to get in and out of a system or a portal or a dot com to complete that end to end mm -hmm. customer journey that you were planning to have? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a very interesting vision and, and ambition. And so and it is goes that something beyond. Star Alliance and your tech teams are working on? It's a topic that is uh, certainly uh, part of the conversation. Yeah. It's not just about hotels, yeah. it's about the, uh, the spectrum yeah. of the end to end customer journey. All right, we're going to take a quick break now. I'll see you right after we hear from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Talking Points and my conversation with the CEO of Star Alliance, Jeffrey Goh. Let's jump back into it. So Jeffrey, let's talk about your background. Did you always know that you wanted to be in aviation from a young age? No, in fact, not at all. Far from it. When I was very young, um, there were various ambitions, as you can imagine, yep. from the Navy to being a horse rider. Uh, a um, horse rider. Indeed, but never quite got there. I think like in the ambitions for most people, you take a different turn that you never expected. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in multiple places. And so it's very difficult to nail down to yeah. the question of where I come from. So my origin is from Malaysia, uh -huh. and I did my education in Singapore for most of my younger mm -hmm. years, and then to Australia for my high school, and then to uh, the UK for my degree. So travels in your blood, would you say? Yeah, looking back, <laughs> I'd say uh, that is the case, but uh, it was never planned out that way. Yeah. I think it was more about educational opportunities at the time, mm -hmm. and that's where it took me to different places. And then... Um, when I landed in the UK, my aim by then had been to qualify as a lawyer, and uh, I did my bachelor's in law with all the intentions of going to private practice, and then it took a different twist because I was so inspired by one of the professors, I decided to become an academic. Hmm. So I spent some, I think looking back, about 10 years teaching at uh, higher learning institutions at universities before I decided that, well, probably it was time to make a change, mm -hmm. and I went into private practice in a law firm. And I was there for some years before I went to Ayara. Uh, in but Montreal. Yeah. In Montreal, indeed. Um, and then from Ayara to Star Alliance. And what, what took you to Ayara? Was it a chance connection with someone or was it a recruiter reach out to you? Like yeah, so the background is that uh, even from my undergraduate days, aviation had been my focus. Mm. And um, I looked at aviation law in particular and my specialty became European aviation law. And back then, when I joined Ayara, aviation law was still in its budding years. Mm -hmm. And Ayara wanted to develop a practice in European aviation law. That was a, the cue for me to have that experience, that exposure at an international level. So I never looked back from there. And so Ayara, for those listening, is the International 
Air Transport, Transport Association, Association which is the... It's the global body for the airlines. Yep. Yep. In setting standards in particular and making uh, you know, recommended practices to be adopted by airlines. Like the Montreal Convention. Was that created by IATA or a byproduct? Like how airlines treat passengers with you know, baggage and things like setting standards for that? Right. You're almost right there. I think the airlines would have had their discussions and IATA would have been very engaged and embedded in that discussion. But in terms of a convention, because it's an international treaty, it comes more from an international governmental organization, which in this case was ICAO, the mm-hmm. International Civil aviation organization. But IATA was very much central to the process in developing and having the convention adopted by Mm -hmm. countries, which then gets translated into laws Mm -hmm. that now talks about compensation for delays, compensation for injuries, and so on. So you went from IATA to To Star Alliance. Alliance. And what was your main focus at Star Alliance? Well, so I started as their general counsel. And again, you know, it's a transition from a legal world to a legal world. And it was really to oversee the legal work of the alliance. And as you can imagine, 27, 28 members of the alliance are to a large extent still competitors. You have to make sure that mm-hmm. you're compliant with antitrust rules and so on. Um, but there was also a lot of commercial uh, work that uh, had to be done. And we were at the deep end of developing a lot of technology platforms and technology infrastructure and a lot of agreements, as you can imagine, legal agreements need to be reviewed and executed. So, And then it was from there that my portfolio changed over the years. And I dabbled in uh, HR, I dabbled in finance, procurement, I even spent time, uh, some time in IT. Mm. At a certain point, they said, you've done everything, why don't you just take over the it, whole... It, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the conversation went that way, but uh, I think it was a good uh, grounding, a broad mm. grounding in understanding the business of the alliance, yeah. but also the opportunity to be connected with our members and their experts in driving thought leadership, in driving initiatives Mm -hmm. and innovation. Um, And so that gave a very broad understanding of what the alliance is and can be going forward. So how does it work? So when airlines want to join the Star Alliance, do you have smaller airlines approaching you all the time? And what is the process? What does it take to become a member of the Star Alliance? Well, the affiliate concept, uh, it's uh, kind of a concept that's in the past. Uh, What we have is really right now um, two categories of membership. One is a full membership and the other is what we call a connecting partner, Mm -hmm. which typically is kind of regional base and kind of a different business model, low cost model. But um, in terms of bringing on board a new airline or a new member, um, it happens two ways. Uh, Either we can approach an airline because we see a gap in our network or we will be approached by airlines that are interested to be part of an alliance. And we have no shortage mm-hmm. uh, of days when our doors are knocked upon and you know, asking for opportunities to join the alliance. But three years ago, we took a very decisive change in our strategy where previously, for the better part of our 20 years, we've been onboarding members and expanding our membership base. And we're pretty large now at 27 members large. Mm -hmm. And we're quite global and quite comprehensive. We're covered in most markets in the world. And to focus our strategy very much on making that customer journey better in giving the control of the experience back in the hands of the customers. But we're not closed for business. Obviously, you cannot be closed for business. We will still look at airlines that are interested or can be part of Star Alliance, but they've got to bring value. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the value proposition is typically addressed by what is your frequent flyer database? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you're going to bring just 50 customers, it doesn't add much excitement to it. And uh, what is your network proposition? Mm -hmm. If you're going to offer destinations where all our members fly to already, 
it doesn't add mm-hmm. much excitement to it because we can already get to those yeah. places. So one of the things that we look at uh, as a key parameter is how many unique destinations you bring to the network. Mm-hmm. And that's the conversation we typically will have. And then we'll run a simulation to see what value in the end that will be gained by the alliance Where do you members. think Star Alliance's biggest gap in coverage is today? We have some markets where we don't have a home carrier. Yeah. If you look at, for mm-hmm. instance, Australia, we don't have a home carrier there. We used to answer Australia many, many mm-hmm. years ago. But having said that, though, if you look at it, um, Brian, the Australian market is very much the kind of adjacent market for Air New Zealand. It's the backyard for Singapore Airlines. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty well served in that sense. Um, and then the other market is uh, Russia, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, where we don't have a member. But uh, Russia is a very interesting market where as we look to onboard a new member, we typically want that membership to be stable, to be continuous. Mm-hmm. In terms of the market in Russia today, there isn't... Uh, an interesting proposition that will serve us in the sense of what we would like to have, stability, continuity. Having said that, in Moscow alone, across the three airports, we are served by something like 17 of our members. Mm. So again, it is not quite, but almost the backyard for you know quite a number right. of our members as well. UK is one big gap. We used to have uh, BMI, BMI uh, which RIP. went our business. <laughs> but we are served by 24 of our 27 member airlines. So in fact, London is the single largest hub for the alliance in the sense of the number of members flying into London. And how does it work? So members, do they split the cost of the alliance based on their size or something? You know, Because how many employees does Star Alliance oh, based we, in Frankfurt? In Frankfurt, we're very small. We're not very large. We're about 70 uh, employees or so in uh, at the headquarters. The points guy has more employees than that. That's well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have the benefit yeah. of tapping into the resources of our members. Yeah. And, you know, there are... 500,000 employees across the membership of Star Alliance and depending on what topic we're talking about, whether it's loyalty, mm-hmm. it's social media, it's customer relations, we're able to tap into the expertise mm-hmm. that lie with the members. I love the Star Alliance lounge with the outdoor terrace at LAX. Star Alliance owns and operates those lounges. And what is the strategy behind those? Are you going to be opening up more of those beautiful international lounges in the future? First and foremost, we have different business models. And this is probably like most other businesses, you know, over a period of time, you find yourself have come different business models have emerged. So in Los Angeles, even though it's branded Star Alliance, it is in fact behind it and New Zealand hmm. uh, that is running the lounge, that is, you know, making sure that the food is there, making sure that the wine is there, but it's branded as Star Alliance. Hmm. And it simply takes away the burden yeah. of 14 other airlines that fly into Los Angeles, building their own lounges and opening up only for three hours Mm -hmm. before that single flight takes off. It just doesn't make sense. So there there is a lot of synergy in bringing the airlines into one lounge. In terms of um, our lounge in Paris, Charles de Gaulle, Mm -hmm. that is owned and operated by a subsidiary uh, that we have. And then we have Amsterdam that opened uh, earlier this year. And then we have Rome that opened last year as well. These are more on a franchise basis. Uh-huh. So we give it to Swiss Port or yeah. we give it to the Plaza Premium Group. They will kit out the lounge. They will build. They will operate. But they will do it under the brand of Star Alliance mm-hmm. and the requirements of Star Alliance. And going forward, I see more, that more of the business model where we is effectively franchised to an operator to mm-hmm. build and then to operate the lounge. In terms of um, locations, our focus is very much on the non-Star Alliance hubs mm-hmm. because there is no sense in competing with, competing with the home carrier yeah. because they know better yeah. than all of us put together what is required, what are the local nuances. Mm-hmm. We are much focused at our non-Star Alliance hubs. So it would seem like Heathrow would make sense as the next one, right? Well, true. Um, but Heathrow, I think, is a very strategic location for many of our members. Mm-hmm. And 
whilst we do not have a Starlands lounge there, of course, the three or the four airline lounges that exist allow for cross-utilization amongst mm-hmm. you know, frequent flyer members of the alliance. But who knows what will hold the future of Heathrow. We'll see how the future holds for that. But in terms of the other non-Starlines hubs that we have, um, there are many opportunities. And we want to deliver is the local wow experience. Mm-hmm. So the experience that you had in Los Angeles is very much an LA Californian wow. Enjoy the nice sun. Yeah. The, the yeah. terrace, the yeah. sun, the fireplace. We were there just in June. I was there in June to recognize five years mm-hmm. in a row of the lounge being recognized by Skytrax as the best airline alliance lounge in uh, for five years in a row. And it was also then that I got introduced to a new concept that they just introduced, and I think it's going to be very unique for LA, obviously. It's barbecue in the terrace. Oh, wow. To get past the uh, the health and safety and the fire <laughs> regulations requirements, it was not a yeah. not an easy uh, walk in, a, in in the park. But it is those local wows that so we're trying gonna, to bring. there's going to be a grill out on the lounge? There's a big barbecue machine out in the terrace. What do you see as the vision for Star Alliance? You know, right now there's Star Gold, which many people listening to this podcast have. Do you ever think about adding extra tiers? That that conversation, Brian, has been around for a while, mm-hmm. and I think um, it's a challenge. And the question is, you know, if you add a tier, what is the benefit that you're going to be mm-hmm. delivering over and above what you're delivering today? We're not off the topic, and I think it's something that as businesses go, um, you know, you've got to keep your hands on changing expectations and mm-hmm. demands. Um, But where our focus right now um, is what additional benefits that we can bring to the current levels of the current tiers before looking Mm. at an additional tier. And, And these benefits don't necessarily need to be about your immediate flight experience, you know, lounge access, priority boarding, priority check-in, and all those other things. But if you're a gold customer, um, could I give you an upgrade on the Heathrow Express Mm -hmm. from the airport to downtown? If you are a gold member, could I give you a preferred rate for a Tumi bag and so on and so forth. So I think the opportunities exist and it's a question of how we develop the ecosystem of partnerships that will give more recognition to our our top-tier customers. More recognition to elite travelers. That's going to be music to many people listening to this. Okay, final two questions. Number one, what's your favorite Star Alliance destination to go on vacation? Ah, that's a really tough choice, right? You know, I fly around a lot. I, you know, I visit our member airlines once a year, and there are many great places yeah. for many reasons. Yeah. I love Auckland, uh, just as much as I love Singapore, yeah. as much as I love, um, you know, Tokyo. Yeah, uh, there are to be loved for different different reasons. Yeah. So it's a bit difficult. It's, it's, yeah, it's maybe like, I shouldn't say fa- favorite. No, but some, yeah. you know, it's like asking what is your favorite song, and I'm yeah, sure yeah. it's a very difficult <laughs> answer to give. No. <laughs> Final question. It's very difficult. Are you an aisle or window seat guy? I am typically a window seat guy. Me too. Thank God. We've had a lot of aisle seaters on the podcast, so we're going to end on that good note. Jeffrey Goh, CEO of Starlines, thank you so much for joining us today. It seems like you guys have a lot of really interesting things in the works, and we're looking forward to seeing them, especially around you know more ways to use miles and get recognition. So We too, and thank you very much again. My pleasure to be here. Before we close out this episode, I've got an important reminder that our second annual TPG Awards are coming up on Monday, December 9th in New York City, and we want you to cast your vote. So go to thepointsguy.com slash vote and make sure you get your vote heard, and you'll also be entered to win amazing prizes, including a trip to New York City and to hang out with me in our brand new TPG headquarters, which is going to be insane. 
Voting closes Friday, November 15th. And once again, vote at thepointsguy.com slash vote. It's easy and fast. There's no reason not to. And that's it for this episode of Talking Points. Once again, a huge thanks to Star Alliance CEO Jeffrey Goh and to the entire Apex Expo team where this episode was recorded. Dr. Joe Leader, the CEO of Apex, Robin Applebaum and her team for pulling it all together for TPG. And many thanks to the LA Convention Center and its staff for being so accommodating and my own crew, Christy Matsui, Becca Denenberg, Ned Russell, Scott Marowitz and Nat Rowe. And to my podcast team, Margaret Kelly and Caroline Shea. I'm Brian Kelly. Safe travels. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.